Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. And you'll never be good enough. You'll never do enough good things. We cannot do them within ourselves. It is the grace of God. And when the grace of God comes within a life, it's not a freedom to just go and and run helter-skelter through the world. No, it's the reality that says, Lord, because you love me, even the way I am, I want my life to count for you. I want my life to honor you and to glorify you. You see, when a person is truly born again, they're not living the way they were. They, they live as unto the Lord. And that's an experience. That's something that needs to take place in every life. Before the Apostle Paul encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he was an expert on the law. As an expert, he emphasized to the Corinthian church that the law brings death. Therefore, our faith is justified by Jesus and not our actions. Pastor David explains that the law in the Old Testament revealed desperately how much we need God. But those religious rules were powerless to do what the Spirit of God does in a person. Don't be fooled. It's not your own ability that can keep you close to God. Now here's Pastor David with part three of today's message entitled, Paul's Resume. see that God has his hand on someone, well, if he changes his doctrine and goes another way, then, you know, I think that God still has his hand on you, but you're not who we are right now. Right now, I don't know how many of you are familiar or knowledgeable of the fact that Calvary chapels in general are going through a great amount of turmoil since uh, Pastor Chuck passed away. There's, a, there's this great division that's taking place right now, and I won't go into it tonight, but one of the things that I loved about Pastor Chuck when, when he was living, people joke about the fact, well, he was the Pope of Calvary. No, he wasn't. Uh, he, he had a church over there, and, and he it just gave birth to a lot of other churches that gave birth to churches. But, you know, one of the things that he saw earlier on is when different people or churches start going in a different direction, of who you are, you just simply say, that's fine. If God's leading you that way, you keep going that way, but you're just not who we are. You're not a Calvary Chapel anymore. And that's where vineyards came from. It came out of Calvary Chapels. And Pastor Chuck told John Wimber and a few others that, that were off with the vineyards, you know, that's fine. You just go and do what you feel God's calling you to do. It doesn't remove the, the, the anointing of God in an individual's life. They're just different. And, but let's get back now to Corinthians. Paul knew that he was a minister according to the Spirit of God. His call was by God through the Spirit for the glory of Christ. He was a minister of that new covenant, and his message was the message of grace and not of the law. He, now you, need, you need to know, you need to fully understand, Paul knew and understood the law probably better than most of his contemporaries. 
but he also knew and understood and experienced grace in a greater way than any of us can even begin to imagine. When, when grace came upon the apostle Paul, you talk about rocking his world. It flipped it inside out, upside down in every way. Man, it was total change in his life. Paul had been under the law. And the law wasn't just religion. It was the culture he grew up in. The law controlled and and directed every action of his life, every day of his life. He had been a, a staunch supporter and a protector of the law. He walked for years under the law. But under the law, he was simply a walking dead man. There was no spirit in it at all. It was all about the law. He was never able to fully measure up. And when you're under the law, beloved, you'll never measure up. You'll never. So when somebody comes and starts laying the law on you, you say, I can't keep that. I can't keep that. Man. Now, understand, too, the grace of God isn't a license to live in sin. But the law brings its own death. When the grace of God intercepted Paul's life, he was never the same. And you know what? I don't believe that Paul ever looked back either. Oh, man, I wish I was back under the law again. No, I don't think that ever entered Paul's mind. I'm reminded of the testimony of our own couple here, Brian and Maria. Man, for years, literally for generations, the law of Mormonism was held over their head. More than a religion, it was the very culture of their life, their, their family, their extended family, their, their jobs, everything about them was just so intertwined in this religion. As involved as they were for years and years, there was still never a peace and never an assurance of knowing the fullness of the favor of God and the acknowledgement of a surety of salvation within their lives. And Brian has shared that with me multiple times. You can try to be as good as you can, but you know you're not measuring up. You know you're not measuring up. So the weight of the law continually being put upon them. As entrenched as they were in the law, It never gave peace, never gave assurance. But once they understood the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, beloved, it was was a release in their life that could only be described literally as being born again. Truly born again. Some of you who are believers, maybe you came to Christ as a young person and that phrase to you you haven't really experienced it in that way because you've been a Christian for years and years and years. The unfortunate thing, there's a lot of people that perhaps are even in our fellowship here that they've really truly never experienced being born again. They just decided, well, I'll start going to church more. I'll start doing good things more. And if I attend more, and if I do more good things, then God's going to be pleased with me. Beloved, let me tell you right now, you've placed yourself under the law. And you'll never be good enough. You'll never do enough good things. We cannot do them within ourselves. It is the grace of God. And when the grace of God comes within a life, 
It's not a freedom to just go and, and run helter-skelter through the world. No, it's the reality that says, Lord, because you love me, even the way I am, I want my life to count for you. I want my life to honor you and to glorify you. You see, when a person is truly born again, they're not living the way they were. They, they live as unto the Lord. And that's an experience. That's something that needs to take place in every life. Yeah, but I came to Christ as a young child. But do you understand the fullness of what that means? That you are his. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And that's the price of the precious blood of Christ. Once that took place in Brian and Maria's life, uh, they understood, man, the law wasn't giving them life. It just continued to point to death. It was only when the Spirit of God revealed the truth that grace through faith in that completed work of Christ that they experienced that release, that freedom, that internal peace, the knowledge of forgiveness and true relationship with their heavenly Father. Now, after the apostle Paul came to faith in Christ, he came to fully know intellectually, theologically, experientially the fact that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And because Paul knew and he understood the law so well, he fully understood the glory that was built into the law, that the law itself, man, what a a wonderful, beautiful thing that God gave us when he gave us the law. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I've come to fulfill it. So, beloved, the law is still there, and there's, there's, still a, 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 there's still a glory, there's still a majesty to the law, because what is it? Man, it speaks of the righteousness of who our God is, and it tells us how desperately we need a Savior. Don't be mistaken. He was fully aware of the weakness of the law, but yet at the same time, he had a firm grasp on the glory of the law. He goes on to explain it to the church here. Look in verse 7. He says, but if the ministry of death, that's the law, that was written and engraved on stones, and you know the Ten Commandments and Moses with the two slates of stone and the law, if if that was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, his face glowed so immensely, uh, that glory was passing away. And if all that's true about the law, he says, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? You remember what what Paul is referring to here there on Mount Sinai, the book of Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 28. You don't need to go there, but in essence, Moses went up to the Mount Sinai the second time. Remember the first time he went up and he came down and the people were like, trashed. Uh, so he, 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 he got in the flesh. He broke the commandments. Uh, he was ready for God to take them all out. So he goes up the second time. Now he's up there for 40 days, 40 nights. He's fasting before the Lord, spending time with the Lord in such an intense way. And the Lord gave him the Ten Commandments now a second time. And as Moses came back down off the mountain after communing with the Lord for 40 days, it says that, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they, the people, were afraid to come near him. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, speak with the Lord, he would take the veil off until he came out. 
when he came out and got ready to speak to the children of Israel, he, he would cover it again. Whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put that veil on his face again until he went in to speak with the Lord. Now, one quick thing to note here. When we've been in the presence with the Lord for any amount of time, we will change. We will change. Some, yeah, man, you just see the glory of the Lord in their face. I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't say it's a, a physical light glowing, but you can just see, man, there's a, there's a reality of the presence. Man, they, they've been with Jesus. They spent some quality time with him. I believe for Moses, it was both a physical and a spiritual change. You can't experience what Moses experienced without also it shaking your world, just like the Apostle Paul was shaken there when the light of the Lord struck him down. Here, Moses, 40 days, 40 nights up with the Lord. The Apostle Paul, in his writing to the Corinthians, explains to him here, all of this glory came about by what? The giving of the law, that time that he had with the Lord. And, and we now have the fulfillment of the law, the new covenant, the covenant of grace. What does he say? Paul says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation, that's the law, because the law says you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, and don't do this and this and this and this and this, and that's the very things we don't do and the very things we do. You thought I was going to say do-do from the pulpit, didn't you? Okay, but I didn't. I don't know where that came from. Verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. In other words, if there's a brighter light, that dimmer light disappears. And the brighter light is that covenant of grace. And it outshines the light and the glory of the law. Does the law still have glory? Yeah, because it represents God's truth. But the light of grace so far outshines that. And he says in verse 11, for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. As, as time went on, you read through there, you, you find out that Moses, his face began to fade away. The, the glory of his face, not his face, but the glory of his face. We're almost done. Stick with me here. But he kept the veil on. He kept the veil on so no one would notice what was taking place. The glory was real, but it was a fading glory. The glory of the law was powerful, but it would become secondary to the glory of the grace by which we are saved when it comes and it's revealed to man. The glory of the law faded away, but the glory of grace continues not only to shine, but to grow. And as verse 11 says, if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Verse 12, therefore... Since we, as believers, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the end of what was passing away. But their minds, verse 14, but their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away 
in Christ. In other words, it, it, they still have this veil of the law over their face as they're reading the words of the prophets and, and the words of the, the Old Testament. As they read that, this, this veil is still there. And the only thing that will take that veil away from them is Christ himself, Paul declares. And it says in verse 15, and even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, is God done with Israel? Is he finished with them? Man, you know, they, they brought us to the point of the birth of Christ. They, they were part and partial with the crucifixion of Christ. And are they all done away with now? Is God finished with them? He says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But for a season, during this time of the Gentiles, the, the message of the gospel that's going out to all the world, but God's not through with Israel. There's a veil over their face right now. There's scales literally over their face. You and I need to be praying for Israel that the Lord would lift that veil, and he is, and it's amazing. When you read the stories and you hear the testimonies of Jews that are coming to Christ, I was watching one on the internet just the other day, a man in his 50s or 60s, been a Jew all of his life, a very devout, practicing Jew, his family, his wife, all of them very involved in their local synagogue, and somehow the Holy Spirit started opening up the word to him. As he's reading his Jewish Bible, God starts revealing the truth of who Messiah is to him. Can God do that? Absolutely he can. God can give dreams and visions. It's like even right now he's doing to Muslims in these Middle Eastern countries, man. They're headed to Mecca. They're, they're ready to go and, and pray to Allah. They stop for the night and they go to sleep. And Jesus reveals himself. Who are you? I'm Esau. I'm Esau. Just as Paul, I'm the one you're persecuting. I'm the one you hate. And he reveals himself. He revealed himself to you, didn't he? Some of you, he revealed himself maybe through, through a radio program. Hope and pray for that. Amen. Some of you, he revealed himself through a family member, maybe a parent, maybe a Sunday school teacher. Some of you, he revealed himself in your own study of his word and the quietness of your own prayer time. Some of you, he revealed himself in a, in a meeting like this just as, as a teacher through the, the frailty and the failure of human words. The Spirit spoke through a man or a woman at a Bible study and open up your heart to the truth of the gospel. Every one of us have a veil over our eyes until Christ removes that veil. It's amazing the blindness that still remains with the Jew. As I said, some, that veil's lifted. But for the whole of the people, they're still in this mass rejection of the fulfillment of the law through Jesus Christ. They think they still need to fulfill that. And their eyes remain veiled from the truth of grace. They remain under the law, the law that condemns, the law that kills, the law that was never intended to give life. As a schoolmaster, the law was given, what does Paul tell us in Galatians, to bring us to Christ. The law was his teacher to help us to understand this is the holiness of Almighty God. This is the unrighteousness of who you are how desperately you need someone to bridge that gap. And that gap is bridged through Messiah, through Jesus Christ. 
Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, unveiled, take that veil off. We're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. In a mirror, and you've got to understand, at that time that Paul was writing, it wasn't the beautiful mirrors that we have. No, it's usually just a piece of brass that was polished up really, really nice. So you get kind of this fuzzy-looking idea of what you looked like through that. So we're seeing it. Uh, we're seeing the glory of the Lord, but not clearly not right now. No, it's nothing compared to what we're going to see, gang. Nothing. I don't care how good of a quiet time you had last week. You ain't seen nothing yet, baby. It's going to happen in such a way, just an amazing way. We are beholding as in a mirror right now. And currently, right now, he says, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. We're being transformed. Paul tells the church in Rome, and for all of us, he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into the jello mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Just as Moses removed the veil as he came into the presence of the Lord, so all of us, we have to be unveiled as we experience that presence in our own lives. Our lives will be changed, similar to Moses, but in a more complete way from glory to glory. We will be transformed into the image and the likeness of Christ. And real quickly, that word in the Greek, be be transformed, Paul uses it here. It's the same word he uses in Romans, metamorpho. It's the changing of the essence and the character. It is very much that idea of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It has nothing to do with, with, with plastic surgery, has nothing to do with changing your hair color, or nothing to do with losing weight or, or anything like that. No, this is an absolute change of essence and character. And you know what? None of us need a fresh coat of paint. What we need is to be metamorphed, to be changed in essence and in character. David Guzik wrote this, and I'll close with this. The best and most enduring change comes into our lives when we are transformed by time spent with the Lord. There are other ways to change. You know, we can put a guilt trip on you. You can have willpower to change, coercion. But none of them are as deep and long-lasting as the transformation that comes by the Spirit of God as we spend time in the presence of the Lord. And yet it requires something. It requires, as Paul says here, beholding. And that word means much more than a casual look. It means a careful study as we behold the face of the Lord. This work of transformation is a process. And in Christ, beloved, we are being transformed. It's not complete yet, and no one should expect it to be complete in themselves and particularly not in others. No one comes away from one incredible time with the Lord perfectly transformed. It is a process. And beloved, we are all in process, amen? We're all on this journey together. None of us have arrived. So none of us have it over another, or you know, none of us are below another. We're just in journey. We're just all in journey. That's why we need to continue to pray for each other, encourage each other, stand beside each other to be a blessing to each other. Open our hearts, change us from within by the
That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit TheOpenWord.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have, or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We're thankful that you've listened to today's message, but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you live in or are visiting the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet Saturday nights at 6.30, Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m., and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can find our address and our directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links at the bottom of the page to our church website. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.